Well, Ron, we get to welcome back uh, one of our past guests. A uh, really cool thing, though, is, is we get the pleasure of helping him with his book launch. Yeah, I, I actually can't wait till Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, even if you bought the book, guys, make sure you're, you're reviewing at that specific time. Um, we are trying to help Joe really uh, launch it very successful on Amazon. Yeah. Well, let's get to it. If you are like we were, stuck and searching, there is so much out there. We were searching and searching. So we decided to follow our passion of helping people achieve their goals, helping others that are feeling stuck. Uh, this podcast, we plan to cut through all that noise, give you actionable steps from highly successful people so that you can have better foresight through others' hindsight. This is Hindsight Hacking. Welcome, everyone. We are joined by Mr. Joe Robert Thornton. Yes, you heard that right. It is his second time joining our show. Um, he is the CEO of Visionary with two Z's.com, uh, an executive coach, and more importantly, uh, he is a brand new author of the book called The Power of Or. Joe, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Ron. Great to be back. Yeah, I, we we are have been thrilled. I've been counting down the days. I cannot believe you, you got your book launched. I know I've been bugging you. Is it done? Is it done? Is it done? And you're like, it's coming. It's coming. That's right. But uh, I, I I'm excited to help launch this, um, and we'll get more into that in a little bit. But uh, welcome back. Yeah. Thanks, Ron. You know, I um, I had the first copy of the book shipped to me on February sixth. And I opened it and I just stared at it because I couldn't believe it was real. Uh, we spend so much time editing from a digital perspective and you're just looking at PDFs and you're, you're doing all this and nothing's really tangible. And then this book shows up and it was amazing. You know, for those that haven't actually heard that specific show, wouldn't you mind uh, giving us a little history of what led you to the point of writing that book? Yeah, Corey, a little bit about it, you know, uh, a title usually has a story behind it. Mine does, certainly. Uh, the Power of Or, Choosing and Doing What Matters Most, goes back to some work I did many years ago. We did a store reengineering project uh, across the U.S. I was responsible for all the stores, and we brought in uh, an outside consultant, one of the big consulting firms, and they spent uh, almost an entire year on this engagement with us, looking to transform the stores, save money, et cetera. Um, and they did a lot of great work. However, there was one thing that as they continued to uh, sit with our executive team and give updates on the, the program and the, the way we were proceeding, they always used this term, the power of the and. And it was always about kind of this slick way of you could do this and you can do that and all of this work that they kind of left us with to do basically. And anyone who's been a consultant knows exactly what I'm talking about uh, or on the receiving end of it. Um, however, what I remember at the time is that it didn't set well with me. I just wasn't comfortable with that, but I didn't know why. And it took years later for me to kind of put pieces together after other organizations, other roles, 
and kind of looking at leading on a broad scale. And it probably came full circle when I was leading one of my Starbucks roles and had 40,000 employees. And I remember some of the stories and situations I would hear when I was out in the field. And it took me back to people live a very practical life by and large. And what I mean by that is we're making trade-offs all day long, all week long in our personal lives. Whether it's something as simple as you have two children who have a game and a recital at the same time, and you have to choose which one to go to. You can't do both, right? You've got three bills to pay. You've got enough income to pay two. You've got to choose which ones you pay. These are natural trade-offs that most people are making, and that's part of the power of or. Like, you know, these are the things that happen, and yet we go to work, and we create these strategic plans, these operating plans that are the size of war and peace, and we try to get them done, and it's just, it's, it's maddening, the process. And so it's how do you kind of reconcile the discipline that we have to have in our personal lives and exact that in the business environment, particularly when you're a leader that has the ability to control that? Because I will tell you, every CEO that I interviewed for this book Every CEO that I know, and my response is back to them is, well, why don't you? You're the one in charge. Like, uh, and so that, that's, that's where a lot of this energy and momentum came from. And I was carrying around notes and thoughts for years. And it was only when I left uh, my last role and had a year off that I could actually sit down and put pen to paper. The, the book officially launched. And obviously, I'm, I'm sure you're proud of, of much of it or all of it. Um, but is there any specific chapter or paragraph or sentence that, that you just can't wait for all of us to read? Uh, that's a great question. And, and I'll, I'll back up and start by saying, you know, when you're writing your first book, it's not going to be like the experience of any other book that I write. You know, I'm probably 80% through the next book, but so many key learnings from the first to the second. And I probably went through seven or eight rounds of edits. It wasn't the publisher that was helping me. It was me. I was the, the problem because it just wasn't perfect. And so I kept going back and wordsmithing and going through it. But I share that. And then to answer your question, there's always some things that stand out that are just different than everything else. And I think for me, um, so many of the lessons learned were from this practicality. And one of the things that I think is important is that a lot of times being practical gets labeled as boring, you know, being predictable and methodical. And yet in a leadership role, I think it's actually the most powerful thing you can do other than inspiring people, being practical. And why I think that's important is we've all worked for a boss or we've been in a work environment where people are saying, what mood is he or she in today? And what that does to a work environment, we talked about things that kill productivity, that can kill it more than anything else. And yet that gets ignored often because we just say, well, that's just the way he or she is. That is unacceptable in leadership. So for me, a lot of this is these tenants that people will pick up from the book, whether it's about simplification or prioritization or learning to say no. I mean, these are things that the best in class leaders, you know, self-discipline that they'll have because the other way I'd answer that question is that I do have a, a piece in here that talks about self-discipline. And what I really emphasize, the higher you go in the organization, the fewer people you have to give you direction. And if you do not have self-discipline, there's really no one to check you. Or maybe there's a PE firm that 
but they're from a distance, right? And so, so I think it's really, really important that people embed that on their journey up, up in organizations. I, I love that. I think you were talking a little bit about in chapter two about culture and how they're guiding principles and missions and values, like really were embedded in the organization. And, uh, you know, I, I think we both attest Starbucks, like their culture drives them, right? And yeah. there's so many businesses out there that doesn't understand or value culture, right? Yes. I actually had a couple of readers, Ron, uh, with the book, and one of them who read it cover, he, he read the manuscript cover to cover in like a day and a half. Like, who are you? Like, how do you even have time to do this? Uh, but he did, because the things he came back with me at, it was clear that he had read every single word. But one of the things, he was actually off-site at a board meeting. He's on a couple different boards. And he said, I didn't tell people who or what this was from, but they, he said, I read a passage from your book to this group. And to your point, Ron, it was about culture. And it was a piece that you're referencing in chapter two. So I'm going to read it if you don't mind, because I- Please uh, do, sorry. please do. I was hoping he for that, he actually, when I asked the question. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he said he pulled this out, and he says, because they were having this discussion about culture, they just made an acquisition, they're trying to figure out their way forward. And, you know, this piece I put here, perhaps I could describe it this way when talking about culture. I've heard leaders talk about culture and say that their mission, values, and guiding principles are embedded in their organization. Their culture is just the way they live every day. It's a statement that I've heard spoken, and then it consistently went unchallenged. I mean, how are you supposed to respond to that? How can you dispute it? I'll say this. I cannot remember a time when anything important to me was embedded. Instead, I emphasized it. I focused on it. I went to sleep thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it. I made it clear to everyone that it was a priority to me. I enacted discipline to ensure that it was always a priority. Saying that something is embedded is just code for it's not important, it's routine, or it's taken for granted, plain and simple. So that's what he read to the group. Love it. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to get into it. Um, you, you know, I was just looking, like if I went to uh, order it from your website, and it, it talks about some book details when it's on that page, and, and one of it is that you mentioned is the benefits of saying no. Like, what does that statement mean to you? Because I know, uh, you know, so many of us, we, we try to please those around us from the family to, you know, work to peers and, and friends and, right? Like, we try to just do everything that we can to make people happy. And, and that oftentimes comes at the sacrifice of never saying no, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, saying no is a tough one because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, particularly those that are closest to us. And sometimes those are the people that put us in the precarious situations by asking us for things, whether it's work related to, you know, stay an extra shift or stay an extra hour when you, they know that you've got, you know, school or event with your children or in your personal life, you know, the classic, someone asking you for money when, you know, you prefer they not. Right. But right, it's right. so hard to say no. And, you know, they just, they have a different lens by which they're asking. But, you know, part of what I said in the book is that, the real distinction is it's not just saying no, it's saying no to something that matters. You know, saying no to the easy things, eh, you know, we all can do that at some point, but it's saying no when it matters, when it's a big decision that it really affects you. Because a couple things I would say, 
One is, you know, we're all wired similar and in, in such that sometimes we have, no, have a hard time saying no to Girl Scouts when we're out in front of, you know, the local drugstore, right? I mean, you're like trying to find another path out of the store and there's only one door. Yeah. Unless you go out the fire, that's a whole other problem you create. <laughs> so listen, I mean, we're, you know, we're creatures of habit and you can sit there and watch that pattern all day long of the avoiding eye contact and all the things that happen. Um, or the lies that are told, you know, I just bought it at the store down the street. Really? You know, I mean, so, you know, whether it's a loyalty card that we're being sold in a store and, you know, you're trying to say no when they're trying to sell you the, the, the department card, uh, the store card, you know, we're kind of bombarded with all of these yes, no decisions all the time. But one thing is true is that so often when we say yes, we are signing up for something we didn't mean to sign up for. And I say that because the benefit of saying no is it's almost a double positive. You know, not only did you not take on extra work, you probably got rid of some work, uh, personal or professional. So I think that's really, really important. And I mean, the last thing I would say is that I, I look at no as the enemy of and. When you've said no, that means something is cast away. Like you, it now becomes or. And I recognize it's easier said than done then what are the implications in the workplace? Because when you don't say no in the workplace, it can have more financial and human uh, capital uh, you know, impact. And so one of the things I talk about is even in my COO role at Jamba Juice, I mean, I had spent years in many different companies, many different roles, and I learned to say no. However, in that role, because we're in a business turnaround, I said yes a lot more than I should have. And what I realized, the most impactful thing is it wasn't about me as a leader. It's that whatever you sign up for as a leader, you usually sign your team up for, and they don't know that they signed up for it. Right, right. It's trying to practice, and I think, and perfect it in your personal life. Because if you can't do it in your personal life, you're going to be hard-pressed to have the courage to do it in the professional setting. Yeah, coming from a, uh, a people pleaser. So yes, I understand the, the no is a difficult one. I'm gonna share a story because you said Girl Scouts. Uh, yeah, I, I was a scout master for many years, uh, pack two six two, and we were at a grocery store, my wife and I, and they're selling popcorn. And this is like a year ago, so I've been out of Scouts forever, but I I saw the two six two on their thing, and I was like, uh oh. Like, how do I say no? Like, I can't say no to them, right? So I was like, okay. I'm just, I, so I, did, I, I picked up the phone and I walked by like I was on the phone call. Like, <laughs> every trick you can, right? And then um, as I was yeah. coming out, my wife, go, you know, we went out and she goes, oh, I forgot milk. Can you go run in and get milk? So I ran in and get milk and I came back out with milk and popcorn. And she goes, what oh, happened? And I go, they, they got me. They got me and I couldn't <laughs> say no. I'm sorry, um, but the, you, the no you can't do a you can't do a double no. No, yeah, you can't you can't do a double no. Yeah, that's that's unacceptable. Exactly. <laughs> I go I go. It's kind of your fault. You sent me back in for milk, and she'll listen to this and she'll she'll give me she'll give me heck for it because she'll say that's not how it went down. I'm like it's actually actually exactly how it went down. Um, that's, right. that's exactly <laughs> what you'll say. Um, okay, uh, so so I know when you first got your book back, there was a couple things that you wanted to change. And since you were the the author and you were able to do it, I know we spoke a little bit, and you you added more things. 
towards the end because there was more yeah. things you wanted to talk about. And I thought that was amazing that you were like, hey, this isn't everything I want to say. I want to add more stuff. Yeah, part of the feedback I got, Ron, was the one of the people who had, had read the manuscript said, uh, and they gave me some really candid feedback. They said, listen, the, the best four chapters of the book were the last four. You know, everything was good, but it really ramped and they felt like it was building towards something and the substance they took away in the last four chapters uh, was was really helpful. And they said, and then it just ended. You know, you just, you, you kind of reached this point and you, you didn't really kind of tie anything in the end. Um, and I said, well, tell me more. And so the co conversation was about not necessarily building more book content, but you know, try to bring readers along to why did you kind of get to this place? You know, what was your your motivation for writing the book and these specific things in the book? And so I did pivot with an additional chapter that talked a little bit about my personal journey because uh, the opening was the professional journey, you know, the story about the consultants and so forth. Yeah. But there is always a personal journey. And so a lot of it was... Uh, of course, this last year off, I had a lot of time to reflect differently than I did before, but a lot of things happened during that time. And so I walked through, and I'll just give you a headline. The first week I uh, left Jamba Juice, I played basketball and tore my tricep. And I've always said, you know, there's two injuries I don't want to have playing sports. One is an Achilles tear and a tricep, just because of the use of those are so different than other parts of your body. Uh, and I'm not as young anymore. So this was, uh, it was kind of a, it was a, an emotional point in as much that I was finally getting this time off. I'm like, are you kidding me? The first weekend? Right. And, you know, from there, you know, my, uh, our dog passed away. Our son had a seizure. My mother passed away. My father, uh, I saved his life uh, literally as I went to visit him. So like all those things happened in five months. Wow. And it was wow. after that where my tone of the book took a different turn. You know, the book was only 30% complete at that time. And, you know, I'm kind of fortunate. It's odd to say that those things happened at that time because it changed the lens of how I wrote the book the rest of the way. And then I think to this conversation I was having, the feedback I received is that then I didn't put that in there. And that was kind of an important, I think, piece to, to go through. So that the last chapter kind of ties it together personally that, that wasn't in there before. No, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, God or anybody that people believe in, I think God works in very specific ways. Um, and you were exactly where you needed to be to help uh, be there for your family. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And for yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> With the arm. Yeah. You know, so, man. So, um, yeah, that it, it's the, the last chapter goes into that personal story, and um, which, again, I'm excited to read. It's 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 funny how, I mean, anytime you, a person tells a story, whether whether it be video, written, verbal, whatever, however you're saying it, um, I mean the the best told stories include personal and professional, right? The best told sto right. stories include the whole, whole person, right? So, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's great that you were able to kind of come full circle and, and include a lot of that in there. So, um, you know, one of the, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
I was gonna say one of the um, questions that came up often as, as people were asking me about, you know, the progress of the book and so forth last summer and fall is if I had a ghostwriter and I actually did not write this book with a ghostwriter, it's just me. And, and I, I felt like, uh, although some would say I'm a control freak, it was more about <laughs> the, I wanted it to keep my words, my language. And of course, even working with those who did the editing, you know, that was really important to me. And they, they did a great job of helping me. And there were some points where they're like, you should use this word. So that's like, I don't speak that way. So I'm not, you know, going to change that. And I think you lose, you know, pick a number, 10%, 30% when you use a ghostwriter. And so I wanted to make sure it was in my language. And so I don't know, I don't have a real frame of reference, although I talked to other people about it, whether that slows you down or speeds you up in writing the book. But I was pretty comfortable with uh, not having a ghostwriter. So I think that's for anyone that's uh, looking to do any literary work, something to consider. There's not a right or wrong, but, you know, weigh the pros and cons of having one versus not. I think you, you become a little bit more fulfilled doing it your way. Yeah. And I think you and I actually spoke about this last time we talked a little bit where, um, you know, which, which way would people go? And, and uh, like, for me, it's like, I would use a ghostwriter all the time because I I don't write very well on those kind of things. Right. I was like, uh, yeah, that's not going to work. Pictures. Yes, I can do pictures just right. (laughs) But uh, no, I, I think the whole, the whole concept of, or, and no, and, and how you live your life all the way around. Um, I think that's in general gonna just really keep your words all the way throughout and really help you get your message, you know, authentically because you were able to do it all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and frankly, as, as someone that knows you, I'm actually happy you put the personal part in so the people can kind of see behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe, let's, what's the number one reason that you felt the urge to write a book? Yeah. What what got you that you're like, I'm going to take this time and go through it. And that was a year of your life. And kind of how, what made you know that that was the right move? Yeah, I mean, Corey, I've been uh, I've been compelled to do it for some time, but frankly, uh, I could say it was important, but it obviously wasn't important enough because I didn't do it until this past year. And you know, I could I could use the excuse of working, which does take a lot of your time, of course. Uh, but you find time for those things you're passionate about outside of work, almost no matter what. So um, <clears throat> I think I almost had to have some of the personal things happen. Uh, to kind of tip me over and say, you know, I really need to do this and I have the time to do it. So there's truly no excuse now. And I just think that leadership is hard. You know, it's, there's no real manual for it. Everyone thinks they've got a definition. They've got it boxed in. It's not boxed in. You know, you're, you're hit with things all the time that um, only in that moment do you determine how well you can actually lead. And, you know, people can do case studies all day long, and then there's something that happens that doesn't fit a case study. And I remember, I'll give you a quick example. I was visiting um, a market, this is probably six years ago, 
uh, out in California and we were celebrating a store manager who was store manager of the year for their region, which I mean, this was 600 stores. That's a big deal that this person was considered the top manager. We went and visited the store, uh, district manager, regional director, regional vice president, myself, you know, we took cake, balloons, really celebrated, big deal with, with this store manager. And he was uh, as excited as you can be. I leave there and, you know, at the time, this was a role where, again, 2,400 stores, 40,000 employees, and I get a call about three weeks later saying that the manager had committed suicide. And it shook me in a way that I, I couldn't remember anything before or since that had that kind of impact. One, because on that scale, I didn't get to know a lot of store managers personally, but this is someone who was in their store. But for that reason in their store, and they were that excited, and he lived with a, his roommate was also a store manager who said he saw, did not see that coming. No sign at all. So it, it, was, it was one of those completely undetectable to everyone close in his life, but it, it made me stop and think a little bit differently about leadership and how we show up and where we spend our time and what we say and what we do. It's not about whether you can prevent those things from happening, but it's just how do you kind of help people through it? And frankly, I had to help myself through it first before I could help yeah. others. But I, I say all that to share that it's, you know, there's been so many experiences, of course, some incredibly positive that led me to, I want to write a book that, you know, it is principle based, but there's definitely some storytelling in there. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I try to share with leaders that um, you never know the impact you have on people. Mm. You know, I mean, you, you, there's, uh, I think I shared this story the other day. There's customers that I've known for 25 years and they're, they're customers, right? But yeah. you never understand the impact you have in someone else's life. And sometimes you're lucky enough that they tell you, right? Or yeah. you have to experience something to go, wow. Yeah, you know, and, and it could right. be just a small little moment in time, right? Um, but wow, that, that's and you know, and the other thing I would share is you know, one I was meeting with a group of district managers many years ago. I was a regional director. I just got promoted to regional vice president, so I had led some of them in that previous role. And I said, well, what can I do in the RVP job that would be different than what I was doing in the regional director job? And they said, nothing, do the same thing, but do it on a bigger scale. And their biggest thing was about storytelling. And, you know, there's so many stories that we all have that we kind of take for granted yeah. that everyone else knows or everyone else has experienced. And sometimes the very little things. So I'll, I'll quickly share. So Ryan, of course, the first time you and I met, yeah. uh, and spent time together was in Indianapolis, right? Yeah. This yep. is February. I guess that might have been five years ago. It was 2015. And the reason I know that is, you know, those spiral books that we gave yes. everybody. Um, yeah. I opened it because I was taking notes, um, what, two days ago, three days ago. And on the top, it says Joe Thornton 2015 nice. visit. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. 
No, that's that's right. And I remember because it was early February and it was zero degrees. That was the actual temperature in Indianapolis. Yeah. And I remember us visiting the store. Uh, Nancy McLaughlin was a regional vice president. Her and I yeah, were there with you guys and Philip. Yeah. And and we were of course celebrating the store because you guys had drive-through records for that store. Like it was just something I had to go see for myself. Probably could have picked a different day than when it was zero <laughs> degrees and it was windy yeah. and it was snowing and people were behaving like this is normal, which was fascinating to me. And I remember saying to Nancy as we were walking back to the car, even she said, you know, it's really cold out today. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting used to it. It's really, it's, it's cold, but it's like a dry cold, you know? So, you know, we, we vibed it, but, but I remember that day very clearly, you know, and that was five years ago. Yeah. It actually popped up in my Facebook memories. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's, there's the, it was our coffee tasting. Yeah. At the table. Excellent. It was, it was funny. All right, Joe, I've got one more question about your book. Um, and, and I think this, this question, many people in life, whether they're a teenager or mm. uh, someone that's retired or anywhere in between have this issue. Mm. That, uh, you talk about the power of ore is having clarity of what is most important and then taking the appropriate action on those priorities to achieve the desired re results. Mm. How, how, do you, how do you help those people? Because there's so many times that in all of our lives that we have this challenge uh, to really get to the point where we can choose to get things to do what matters most. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it, Ron, is for each of us is there has to be clarity of also what's not important. And I can remember in roles I've had and doing some consulting work with other, others and just saying, you know, what are your priorities? And they list them all. And, they, and unfortunately, they also have like, they say I've got three, but then they say 1A, 1B, 1C, and then 2A. So we go through that whole thing. Right. But but at least they're able to articulate all of them. When we get to what's not important or said differently, what should you stop doing or all that, they, they're stuck because it's so hard to articulate what you're going to cut out. And I think when people can start to do that, it's almost process of elimination because trying to do it the traditional way, most of us fail at that. You know, we end up still trying to do everything and, and, you know, then you don't end up being really great at anything. So I think part of that, the clarity of what's not important is also part of this process. And when you can take those out and, of course, the discipline to continue to not do those things, I think good things can happen then. Because some of it's just a function of you've now freed up time to hopefully invest in something more important. Um, so I think that's how people have to get to that and and uh it's an important thing to do we talked a little bit about multitasking oh and, man yes right and, and um it, i was reading something the other day that the human brain you don't have actually the capacity that people think they have to multitask That's and, right. and uh you know as i've gotten a little older i i used to say i love stress uh, I don't, <laughs> um, and I was a good multitasker and I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm a good planner and, yeah. and, and I, I like, I'm a, I'm a list maker and I want to check things off the list and we're going to, we're going to keep moving forward in those pieces. Um, but 
you know, it's still one thing at a time, one thing at a time, <laughs> one check mark at a time. As yeah. You, yeah. you know, I was, I was talking to someone the other day. I was like, all right, so if everything's top priority, you're going to fail. Like you have to yeah. be able to like prioritize in a way that, that makes sense. And I, I was talking to someone about, you know, their development and I was like, you know, what are the two things you want to work on? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the person to say, here's the two things you have to work on. Like yeah. you don't have to, you have to be bought in to want to do it and, and, and make that change for yourself. But I've learned a long time ago, if you give someone more than two things, they're probably going to find every excuse in the world not to do it. But yeah. two, and, and I learned a little trick. If, if you have three boxes and you say, okay, we're just going to use these two boxes and they see an empty box, they, they instantly in their mind, they're like, Ooh, that's not that much. I think it's yeah. a little trick, right? Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, looking at the multitasking piece, you want to, uh, before we kind of tell everyone where, where the book is and how to get the book, um, you want to give them a little tidbit on your thoughts around multitasking? Yeah, it's a good one, Ron, because of course we're all guilty of it. The question is to what degree? And that's where I think you got to flesh this out. And, and the good news is that 2% of the population scientifically can effectively multitask. The problem is 98% cannot and it's not a learned skill it's it's innate or it isn't and uh and i would say that that's probably based on a prior way of living not even as we continue to look at the the proliferation of media and things that are kind of pushed towards us so the 98 percent is trying to do what the two percent is kind of built to do and that's the problem it's like you know you ask hundred people, are you a good driver? And 85% say yes. And then you look at the crash statistics, like, well, someone's lying. Like it's, you know, we have to be better about like assessing. And I, I think about it in two fundamental ways, you know, you were growing up and they said, you know, pat your head and rub your stomach at the same time. And, you know, you know, people can do it, but it's a conscious effort to do it. Uh-huh. Right. And then you try to explain to people, if you say now do one or the other, oh, it's simple. Right. But when you do them both at the same time, there's a little bit of complication and and conscious thought. And that is something simple. You know, think about big priorities that you have in a business or big priorities in your personal life that you're trying to get to. The other example I would share is, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. So if you went to a baseball game, you had an outfielder, a major league outfielder, and you're hitting baseballs to him. If you hit them 100 balls in the air, they're going to catch 99 or 100 out of 100. That's how skilled they are to be at that level. If I start hitting two at a time, that number drops dramatically. (laughs) Now, of course, face of the balls, let's say you hit them relatively the same range, right? They have divided their laser focus on one. Now they're trying to catch both. And that goes down dramatically. And so one of the things that's talked about in the book is ability versus capability. And ability is, can you do it? But capability is, can you do it under the circumstances? So I'll give you another sports analogy. When you watch football and they talk about the kicker, it's always the same story when it's coming down to the end of the game and a game-winning kick on the line, and it's from 50 yards. They'll say, well, he was hitting from 60 yards in in warm-up, in pregame. Yeah, there's no one in the crowd. Like, I understand. Like, there's no pressure. There's no stress. Right. Like that's very different than when it matters and you just add a lot of complication by crowd, crowd noise, environment, all those things. 
false sense that we can do two things, two things that we can do well, we can do both those things well at the same time. Right. And it's, it's really complicated. And the last thing I would say is, you know, I think about how we spend our time, social media, DVRs, et cetera. And I would challenge people that record a 30 minute sitcom on their DVR, which is really 22 minutes of a show. But how long does it actually take you to watch that show? Because you're pausing the DVR, the phone's ding, you're doing all this stuff. It might actually take you 33 minutes to watch the 30 minute show that you could have watched shorter if you just right, stayed disciplined. And, you know, I challenge people to, to try that on one of the shows that they watch. And I even go as far as saying, I know this sounds silly, but when you time yourself, don't use your iPhone or your phone because you're going to get distracted by a social media posts and then you're going to be off. Like it's, it's, it's crazy the things that we're doing to ourselves. I, I think you're, I think you're either talking to my wife or you're at my house. So, so we record football because we don't quote unquote, like watching the commercials. Right. right. So two things will happen. Someone will say, did you see X, Y, and Z? And you're like, no, <laughs> right. Or, you know, with, with three kiddos, you're right. You pause yeah. it. And I told her, I go, what game do you want to watch on Sunday? Because my wife's a big football game or a football fan. And she goes, well, just record all three. I go, we never watch all three because yeah, we can yeah. never watch one and it's time for bed because <laughs> it's like time for dinner, pause. Time for dinner, pause. Uh, someone yeah. wants to do this, pause. And so for you to say that, I, I was laughing. I was laughing inside a little. All right, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today and going through your book. It's been a pleasure to hear it firsthand. And I know I can't wait to purchase it this upcoming week. Excellent. Thank you guys both. It's great. Yeah, um, guys, I think uh, let's let's kind of rally around um, this book and help help Joe rank up there on Amazon. So let's let's kind of make a push for Wednesday the eleventh. Have everyone really focus on going to to help Joe rank, um, review, buy, purchase, and uh, we'll do three eleven at noon Eastern time, have a concerted effort to go to the link below and we'll have the Amazon link right below uh, or to your website. And let's uh, purchase the book at that particular time. And if you've already bought the book, let's leave a review on Amazon at that particular time. And, and let's see what we can uh, achieve together as a group. Excellent. I like that, Ron. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll take it a step further and just say anyone that does that on March 11th, noon Eastern, they go in and review it, they download it, they purchase the book, any of those steps, send me a screenshot, uh, email it to me at joerobertthornton at visionary.com. Choose these two ends. And you'll be entered into a drawing for me to send you a personally signed hard copy, hardback copy of the book. You that, drop your address on there, I'll send it to you. That is incredible. Yeah. Do we get that? Can yeah. we enter? I, 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 yes. I'll buy a hard copy I mean, myself. Yeah, we'll buy it at the same time. <laughs> and I'm going to send you an email with a screenshot. All right, you can always can. use an alias. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, this has been uh, a lot of fun. And thank you so much for coming back onto our show. Um, I know... Everyone loved you the first round, and I'm sure they're going to love this one as well. 
Well, it's great to be on fans of, of your show and the work that you're doing. I mean, you're opening uh, people to, to possibilities and inspiration. It's like the, this is the kind of work that gets me up every day. So appreciate what you guys do. Thank you so much, Joe. And uh, let's see what we can do on 311. All right. We'll see you there. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. Ron, man, I am so thankful that we were able to have such an amazing individual back on our show. Uh, twice he's just given us so much great information and uh you know what a, what a pleasure uh, i cannot wait till wednesday yeah i loved that he actually took the time and read pieces of the book to the group um you know to all the listeners and i think that's crazy and again <clears throat> make sure you go to amazon 12 p.m wednesday very specific we're trying to do uh, a a very good launch for Joe so he can top the charts. So even if you purchase the book, review Wednesday, 12 p.m. If you've not purchased the book, that is the time and day to do it on Amazon. So in case someone missed it, what happens 12 p.m. on Wednesday? We are either reviewing, purchasing, or both at Amazon, link below, to help Joe rank to number one on Amazon Books. Well, folks, you heard it here, and uh, definitely go to do that on Amazon. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, talk to you all soon. And remember, you're the best part of the Hindsight Hackers movie.